You're listening to the Mindful Psychology Podcast, a podcast designed to explore mindfulness, psychology, neuroscience, and various aspects of holistic health. My name is Jen. I'm your host. I'm also a therapist, an educator, and a yoga teacher. Join me and brilliant guests as we explore various topics and offer you actionable steps so that you can be informed and intentional about your health and well-being. Now sit back, relax, maybe take a notebook out, and let's dive in. And welcome to a brand new episode of the Mindful Psychology Podcast. Today, we're joined by another very special guest, Jody. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here. So happy to be here. Thank you. And where are you joining us from today? Oh, that's a great question. I actually live in a very small town in Ontario, Canada, along the water. Nice. Fellow Canadian. Cool. Cool. <laughs> very yeah. fun. Um, okay, so Jody, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, the work that you do, how you got into your work, and anything like that? Yeah, so I'm actually a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, which nobody really has heard about. So I like to say a functional medicine practitioner just to be relatable to people. I'm also trained as a therapist, so I have a master's in social work. And I'm a yoga teacher. So as you can see, I love learning. And what my focus really is, is on helping women to heal anxiety holistically and at a root cause level. Fair enough. Okay. And so if you had to explain uh, what you mean by healing uh, anxiety holistically, um, what would you, how would you explain that to people? Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think about healing anxiety, they think about, you know, number one is they go to their doctor mm -hmm. and then their doctor says, Oh, like you have a neurochemical imbalance. Why don't you go on this prescription medication? And they end up with a prescription that is after typically they've ruled out anything more medically serious or they go to a therapist and you know the therapist and i'm i am a therapist so you know i definitely believe in the approach which is you know looking at the mindset um, sometimes uncovering trauma work but often in that we're missing another piece of the puzzle if that's the only uh you know strategies you do so when i talk about healing anxiety holistically i'm also talking about including physiological imbalances that are going to be contributing to your anxiety that aren't necessarily going to be picked up on any of the more you know diagnostic tests that your medical doctor might run so for example we're going to look at you know diet and focus on the gut anxiety connection there we're going to look at environment. Are you, you know, living in molds? Uh, are you being exposed to toxins on a regular basis that you don't know about? We're going to be looking at hormone imbalance as well, and then minerals. So there's lots of layers that you can look at when it comes to healing anxiety from a physiological standpoint that's often missed. Wow, that's really impressive. That's really great. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I love that you're able to kind of take pieces from all the different um, areas that you that you are trained in and come up with something also that's well-rounded and that has a bit of everything so i, I really like that and if we dive deeper into the um into this part this this piece of the puzzle that you're adding in this case um what are so first of all let's explain to people why the mind the the brain stomach connection is a thing like why it matters <laughs> what yeah. it, what it, 
-hmm. And, and, you know, some people get this and then other people, it's a very new concept. And when you, if you're someone who this is a new concept for, when you understand it, it all of a sudden you have all these aha moments where you're starting to connect Mm -hmm. things together. And so basically we want to think about the type of food that you're putting in your body. So, you know, a lot of people are putting, you know, Big Mac fries kind of example. So you're eating the pastas and the breads and um, muffins and cereal for breakfast, a standard American diet. Let's imagine maybe a little bit of sugar in there. Maybe you're not. Um, Maybe there's cheese in there. Um, But basically if you're eating the standard American diet, what it's going to do is it's going to create a imbalance in the good bacteria and the like what I call bad bacteria. And so that imbalance and the toxins and some of the food is going to create leaky gut. And so leaky gut for people who don't know what that is, essentially the lining of the gut wall is one cell deep, right? Which is kind of phenomenal. And its role is to act as a barrier between what gets in the body and what doesn't. And food is naturally, you know, the the minerals are to be absorbed through the cells. So I like to think of our gut sort of like coral, right? And healthy coral is going to be vibrant and it's going to be able to absorb nutrients through, you know, the cells, essentially. Now, when you get microbial imbalance, it starts to affect the health of the gut, much like coral bleaching turns the coral, you know, crappy and it can't absorb anything. Same thing happens with your gut. So the little tentacles on the gut called microvilli, they start to die in atrophy. And so your body can't absorb minerals properly. And then what also happens is you start to get the gut wall, which is held together by something called tight junctions. I like to think of it sort of like Lego connections. They start to break apart. And so then what you get is you get things that you're eating seeping through. Maybe it's bacteria, maybe it's undigested food particles, and it's ending up in your body. Now, obviously this is not how the body is designed. So what it does is it activates an army inside of your body. I'd like to think of it as like the Braveheart army. Like, what are you doing in here? You're invading this space. And so with that immune response comes inflammation. And with that comes the leaky blood brain barrier. So a lot of people may have heard of leaky gut, but not a lot of people realize that the blood brain barrier acts very similar. And so basically it's there to prevent molecules or particles from getting in the brain that aren't supposed to be in there. So when you have a lot of inflammation in the body, you're obviously going to have a a leaky blood brain barrier. And then you're going to get things crossing into the brain, affecting neurotransmitter production, affecting connection of neurons. And that in turn is going to affect your mental health and your mood, which is likely going to lead you to craving that crappy food all over again. And then the cycle is going to continue. Okay. I love everything you just said, as in like, it's, it's not a good thing, but I, I, no. I, love how you, I love how you explained it. I don't like the bad cycle. I like how you explained it. And I like mm-hmm. everything you just explained. I think that's really, I've never heard it explained like that actually. And it made so much sense. So, mm-hmm. um, so thank you for that. Um, and um, question also, would, so we said standard American diet, but is it possible that sometimes uh, it, it could just be the diet and the person like the matched is, isn't good. So you could, you think that you're having a good diet or you think that you have, uh, maybe, you know, an alternative or, or more good things, but it, it could not work for you. And the same thing could happen. 
Possibly, yeah. So I see like a lot of people who are on a vegan diet and they think, oh, I'm eating a lot of vegetables. So, you know, we're good to go. Um, but A, they're missing nutrients like B12 and choline. And then B, they're still eating inflammatory foods like gluten, which is setting the gut off. And so there's this assumption that if I eat enough good food, it doesn't matter what else I eat. But if your body has a gluten reactivity, which a lot of women do, then it's going to be causing an issue for you, regardless of how many vegetables you eat. Um, so that's one example that I see a lot. And the second is if somebody has, you know, this is going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but if somebody has mold issues, they likely have a histamine issue. And, um, you know, histamines are present in food. And so you could eat like a really great low inflammatory diet that's very high in histamine and end up having, you know, panic symptoms and poor gut health and anxiety through the roof because of the content of histamines that you're eating in the food. So, you know, there is definitely a little bit of tailoring that needs to happen. There isn't a one size fits all, but in general, low inflammatory is better. Okay. So what are some examples of low inflammatory diets or foods? Yeah. So I, I actually like to flip it and talk about the foods that you probably shouldn't be eating. Okay, um, so the big one, as I've mentioned a few times is gluten. And there's this misconception, you know, oh, I went to my doctor and I tested negative for celiac. So I must be able to eat gluten. But there's actually kind of a, a spectrum of an immune response for gluten and celiac is on the far end of the spectrum. So If you imagine that spectrum, just because the far end isn't lit up, doesn't mean that somewhere in the middle is not. And so sometimes I run a test called a wheat sumer, and that can look at how your immune system is reacting to the gluten. And so I'll see people who don't have celiac reactions, but are still getting leaky gut by eating gluten. Um, so that is a really, really, that is a really, really major one, um, is that big piece there. Um, And, you know, I've had women say, you know, Jody, like I cut out crackers and, or I cut out gluten and I felt good. And then I ate crackers and I had a panic attack for the rest of the day. Could the crackers really do that? And my answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so gluten is like definitely a really big one. Um, the next one is dairy. Dairy causes a lot of inflammation for a lot of people. Um, genetically, a lot of people will respond negatively to dairy. Um, and so dairy is a really big one. And then sugar is another huge one. Um, so for a lot of people, sugar is feeding parasites, it's feeding mold, it's feeding candida, and all of those things will create anxiety. And so cutting out refined sugar and just lowering the overall sugar intake can make a really big difference. Okay. That's really important. Okay. Thank you very much for that. So yeah, that's really good. And also what are some signs that you may have these sensitivities? I mean, obviously getting tested, I, I imagine would be the best way to find out, but are there any signs that you could notice in your, in your everyday life that would maybe indicate a sensitivity to one of these things or all of these things? Yeah. And that's a very good question because everyone assumes it's one sign for, you know, each food and it can be multiple signs and they can be different for each person. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, the obvious one obviously is gut issues and that ranges, right? Um, constipation, diarrhea, altering between it, undigested food in your stool, bloating, gas, nausea, all of those things are kind of the obvious indicator. The, the anxiety and mood issues are definitely a big one. There is, um, for depression, there is a model called the cytokine model, 
of depression. And basically that's where inflammation caused by food will cause depression. Um, so any sort of mood issue, I always want to look at what the diet is. Um, skin issues is another really big one. What you, um, your skin often reflects the, um, you know, what your intestines look like. So if your skin is a mess, then there's a lot, likely a lot of gut issues going on as well. Um, brain fog, difficulty focusing, sleeping issues, like all of those things can all be related to gut issues and, you know, diet. And then the other one that's not always as intuitive is any sort of autoimmune condition will suggest that there's likely something going on with diet that needs to be looked at, including thyroid issues. Interesting. So yeah, because I know thyroid issues are a big one. Um, and, and as in like, we, we talk about them a lot. And often people will, will test their thyroid first when they start to feel a bit blue or when they start to have um, yeah, low moods and things like that. They'll assume, well, it depends on the time of year. They'll either assume it's seasonal affective disorder or they'll think maybe they have an underactive thyroid or an overactive thyroid or something like that. So um, when do they come to you and say that? Like, do they come to you with specific concerns? Like, I think it might be my thyroid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sometimes it is the thyroid, but there's, again, this misunderstanding that, oh, it's just my thyroid. If I take thyroid meds, everything's going to be fine. But when we're really thinking about, you know, uncovering the root of symptoms, we need to pretend we're a health detective. So we need to start asking the whys. So the question is, well, why did your thyroid go off in the first place? Right? Like it just didn't randomly decide one day to be misbehaving and cause your life problems. It went off for a reason. And so we need to get onto, you know, why the thyroid's gone off and to link back to diet, about 40% of people with a thyroid issue, it's actually gluten sensitivity and it presents as a thyroid issue. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. There's a lot of other kind of root causes as well. Like it could be low iodine. It can be certain infections. It can be gut infections. It can be, you know, high um, fluoride and all sorts of other things, but gluten is a really big one. That's really interesting. Okay. I didn't mm -hmm. know that. And, and then, so if someone comes to you and, and let's say someone comes to you as a therapist, like to, to you wanting to work with you as a therapist, like in therapy, sorry, I don't know how, you know what I mean? Like they're not coming to you as a therapist, mm -hmm. a therapist, but they're coming to you in that way. And, for therapy. Yeah. For therapy. Exactly. And then you're, you're saying that, okay, let's, let's first test these things and see, and see if we can rule out anything on this level. Right. Am I, am I on the right track? Yeah. So I offer a 12 week program and we actually look at both. We will look at both. Um, and so mindset is important because, you know, if you're not in a place of gratitude or um, you're misperceiving the events around you, you can also trigger anxiety from that way. Most of the women that come to me have already done the mindset work and then they're discouraged because they don't know what else is going on. And so we end up doing the diet and that's where the needle mover is. But for some women, mindset is also a big needle mover. So I don't want to discount that either. Sure. Okay. And what are some of the things? So you mentioned gratitude and um, uh, like how, how we observe or how we experience the world around us and how that affects our mood. So what kind of work do you do with clients in terms of uh, like in that, in that respect? Yeah. So I, yeah, gratitude is definitely a big one. We look at breath work. And um, so I incorporate some yoga style breathing exercises, mindfulness, um, which I think is pretty popular these days, and then uh, cognitive behavior therapy. So research has shown that's as effective as medication for anxiety and depression. So um, you know, a lot of people will go to a therapist and they'll just talk, 
Um, and some therapists are trained in CBT and that, it's a much more tangible way of understanding your thoughts and pulling apart whether the thoughts are accurate or not. Um, so I find that that can be really effective for people. And then I also look at something that I link into as a mindset piece, which is um, limbic system health. So the limbic system is a part of the brain that scans the environment around you. It's on a very much a subconscious level. It's the old, kind of the old part of the brain and decides whether or not you should be in fight or flight. And, you know, for somebody who is experiencing anxiety, often there are, you know, chemical imbalances. Um, maybe there's toxins. Maybe there was a history of trauma. And I suspect that long COVID will also um, you know, trigger limbic system dysfunction. And so what happens is the gauge becomes hypersensitive. And so the limbic system will scan an environment that you logically know is safe and decide that it's not safe and then send your body into fight or flight. Mm -hmm. I see this a lot. I saw this with myself actually. Um, and so a really big piece of healing is to make sure that the limbic system gauge is reset back to a reasonable level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the person that walks into a grocery store and has a panic attack, a lot of times that's a limbic system issue. They logically know nothing's going to happen in the grocery store, but the limbic system senses all of the noise, overstimulation, the bright lights, the people, people they don't know. And if that limbic system is really sensitive, it can be like, oh my gosh, this is not safe. And away goes the panic. Right, right, absolutely. Okay, and so what are some ways in which you can work with people and help them with this or or that, you know, even some practices that they can start to adopt at home? Like what would you normally recommend for this kind of work? Yeah, there's a very specific technique that I teach, um, which involves, you know, thinking about past and present memories, much like uh, a little bit of Joe Dispenza's work where we're working on manifesting, but also where we're going back into the past and reliving those positive memories. And for people with a limbic system issue, they can't even think of positive memories. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost irrational. It's like, sorry, there was positive memories in my past. Mm -hmm. um, so it becomes really obvious when we start to do the work that that's not something that they're able to do. Okay, interesting. Okay, and then, mm -hmm. and then what else? Like what, could, what, what does it look like when they start to find more, uh, more stability and, more, and, and less reactivity uh, as they're going through life? Yeah. So like when we're calming the limbic system down, um, you know, for me, my anxiety cut in half in about six weeks. Um, so you'd start to see that a positive memories are coming back again. Mm -hmm. And then B, you know, you're able to be in situations that were illogically stressful for you and be calm instead. So you start to see the entire nervous system calm down. Yeah. Okay. I like that. And so this is not like to clarify, it's not going back and hashing out traumas. It's literally the exact opposite. The more you think about the trauma and pull it apart, the more likely you are going to activate the limbic system. Interesting. So instead you would come at it in terms of understanding the thoughts, understanding the feelings and seeing what makes sense, what's accurate, what's, what has evidence to support it, that kind of thing. Like that's when you would get into a bit more of the CBT. Uh, no, it's actually very separate. So the limbic system is literally about going back to past memories and envisioning future memories that put your body in a positive emotional state. Because what happens when the limbic system, it literally loops. So it gets stuck in this fear state chronically mm -hmm. and doesn't remember how to be happy and positive and safe. And so by you putting your body in that safe place, 
in that state, it, it sort of blocks the looping and allows it to open up into other parts of the brain that might not have been accessed for months or years. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I understand now. Thank you for clarifying. Okay. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. And so this is like, you could be doing this work and, and, and not do CBT at the same time. Like this is, this is something separate. Yeah. I mean, technically CBT is a part of it because you're working to reframe your thoughts, but the limbic system is a very separate piece of work. Right. 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 Okay. For sure. Understood. Okay, great. Good. And, and if people are listening right now and thinking, okay, I love this approach. I love that there, that, you know, that she's able to come at this from different angles and that you're incorporating, you know, nutrition as well in the gut. I mean, and they want to connect with you and work with you. How can they do that? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that you can work with me. Um, one is my Facebook group and it's healing anxiety holistically for women. Um, so that's a really great way to connect with other women, to feel less alone. I'm doing lots of events and activities through there. Um, and then the second is I offer, you know, some pretty quick tips that obviously these tips we're not going super deep into, um, but it allows you to see noticeable change right away. Um, and that is through my guide and you can find it at go.healingjourneyservices.com slash five ways. Okay. Okay, good. So I'll make sure that I have all these links in the show notes so people can easily access them and connect with you. And is there anything else? Um, No, I think the big thing I like to leave listeners with is this idea that there's always hope for healing. Um, There's always a way for you to dive deeper, whether it's, you know, through looking at mental health lens and diving into therapeutic techniques and looking at trauma or whether it's diving into the physiological side. If, you know, people feel like they're up against a wall, um, know that there's uh, probably a whole world of approaches that you can still explore. Yeah, I love that. Thank you very much for adding that. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise today and for being with us and providing all this information. It was really nice. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you.